Hello and welcome to new episode of our Your Health podcast. My name is Jan Klusacek and our guest today is Matt Southwell, project executive at the European Network of People Who Use Drugs. Also manager in healthcare, so welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me to talk to you. So could we start uh, uh, with a few words about your org- organization and what is your actual role in that? Yeah, so the European Network of People Who Use Drugs, or EuroEMPUD, is an organization representing uh, drug user organizations that campaigns for the rights and health of people who use drugs in the European Union and its neighboring countries. Great. And um, uh, what is actually, uh, what do you do in that uh, organization? Yeah, so we have... Uh, Sorry, yep. we, ha- we have we have uh, multiple roles. So firstly, we are an advocacy organization. So we represent the interests of people who use drugs on the European Union, particularly on their civil society uh, group on drugs. We also talk to the Pompidou group and to the uh, mm-hmm. European monitoring group on drugs and drug addiction. Um, and so we are really uh, the representative voice of people who use drugs in the mm-hmm. European Union and also with the governments uh, that make up the European uh, Union. We also support drug user organizations themselves to develop uh, peer-led harm reduction. Uh, So delivering things like uh, naloxone, uh, overdose prevention, uh, support for people who use drugs, giving out needles and syringes and other harm reduction commodities like silver foil or crack pipes or or, or uh, methamphetamine pipes. Um, and then we also support drug user groups to be advocates for the health Mm -hmm. and rights of people who use drugs Mm -hmm. in their own countries as well. But uh, you are not in this organization only as a, as a practitioner and uh, only as a manager. But uh, you are you yourself uh, have a personal experience with uh, uh, with drug use. So maybe you could uh, tell us a few words about that. Yeah, look, I started out as a, one of the UK's first um, harm reduction practitioners, and I went on to train as a health service manager and eventually became professional head of drug services in East London and the city. So working in a very diverse area, um, but we particularly use this strategy called community mobilization, where we worked with people who use drugs, both employing them as staff members and also working with drug user groups. I think everybody assumed that I wasn't a drug user because I was the boss. So they hmm. um, were very interested by the work that I was facilitating. I think they became more challenged when they when I started talking openly about the fact that I was also a drug user myself. At that point, I'd been uh, using drugs for about 20 years. I was a sort of hard partier. I was part of the acid house uh, generation in Mm -hmm. the UK. Um, But I I didn't have a problem with drugs at that point. But in 2001, I came out publicly in a TV documentary on the uh, British Broadcasting Company. And at that point, I told everybody that my expertise came both from my learned experience, Mm -hmm. but it also came from my lived experience as well. And uh, since you came out, uh, it, does it, uh, it did uh, significantly influence your, your life, your position, etc. So uh, maybe you now uh, have first-hand experience with, uh, with the stigmatization, with what it means for, for you know, drug users. Yeah, look, I was an insulated drug user. And yeah. Like many middle-class uh, drug users, I had a good job, I had a good income, I had both a, an NHS job, and I also had my own freelance consulting mm-hmm. company, so I was doing pretty well. Well, when I came out publicly, people cautioned me. They said, look, you don't understand the stigma and discrimination that many sort of dependent drug users or people using drugs on a daily basis, people, you don't understand the challenges that that population face. And I was a bit blasé about it. I didn't know. I was proud to stand up and talk about being a drug user activist. We'd come through this very successful period of drug users responding to the HIV epidemic. But when I came out, yeah, it had 
significant consequences. I was uh, suspended from my work as a health service manager and I was eventually uh, removed from my job. They had to pay me off to leave because it was an unfair process. I then used that money to set up a, a UK drug user mm. network. And then after five years, we had a very difficult engagement with our government who really didn't want to talk to empowered drug users. They mm. wanted to talk to sick people. And when we presented them as a human rights movement, they were not really mm. w- willing to engage. And yeah, that that led eventually to them really sabotaging our network. And that then led me into the first period of problematic drug use in my life, or the only period of problematic mm. drug use in my life. Well, um, in previous episodes, we, we discussed uh, the border between drug use and drug abuse, and as well, uh, if this is relevant uh, concerning um, illegal drugs and, and legal drugs, uh, people uh, can... I would say uh, a lot of people have uh, problems, significant problems with uh, with uh, perfectly legal drugs, and uh, and there are again many people who uh, are users of illegal drugs, yet they uh, they show no um, significant influence in their daily daily life. So, uh, what's your point on that? So, the UN Office of Drugs and Crime, in their World Drugs Report, they identify that about 10% of people have uh, problems with drugs, and it's when drugs become too significant in your life, when they become the exclusive focus of your life and other things close down and you have less connections with family, with work, with education, that's when drugs starts to become more problematic. So I was a hard partier for 20 years. I was working, had a family, sustained my drug use, worked hard on uh, managing harm reduction and, and using drugs in a, in a safer way. And then when I lost hope after I'd lost my service, then I'd lost the drug user network that I tried to set up, or I successfully set up with uh, peers. At the end of that, when I lost hope, then drug use took on a different mm. place in my life. Suddenly, uh, yeah, drug use became very bound up with the, the challenges I was facing with my sense of hopelessness. We got interwoven with depression. And for five years, I struggled. And you know, drugs at that point, you start to learn that drugs can really mess you up if you don't manage them effectively. And then after that time, I recovered control and found my way back to using drugs in a more managed and controlled mm. basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um, you you mentioned your personal experience with uh, stigmatization 20 years ago. Do you think that uh, it has changed in, in the last two decades? Uh, do you think that uh, people in similar situation these days uh, uh, are facing uh, different uh, challenges? I think there's a much more open conversation about drug taking. I mean, when I first came out as a drug user, it was a big shock in the UK to have a senior manager from drug Mm. services talking openly about being a party drug user. The reaction we had on the BBC, we had a live chat after the program, and it was in fact just about to become the largest ever live chat on the BBC when we crashed the BBC website. And it was just so many people coming and saying, wow, we're finally able to speak. Thank you for sharing our voice as a community. Thank you for talking openly about what we all experience and can't publicly talk about. So this incredible reaction was no really blew me away and blew many people away quite how strong this hidden population was who were engaging with drugs and you know, having it as part of pleasure and and social and their social lives. Um, and I think that uh, shift has been significant. 
I think people are still facing criminalization. Mm -hmm. People still lose their jobs. People still get pushed out of education. Now, even just with a, a drugs caution, you can then lose your ability to work in schools, in social work, in the criminal justice system. So I think we understand that, yes, things have got better. But while we ha still have criminalization, there's always the potential to target stigma mm -hmm. and discrimination against people who use drugs. Mm -hmm. Actually, this is uh, where a uh, strong case these days in in Czech Republic when uh, when a young uh, couple was sentenced to eight years uh, in prison for um, distribution of uh, ayahuasca and uh, leading the uh, ayahuasca um, unofficial therapies. So that that is uh, a huge topic in Czech Republic as well. So do you think that the, the situation in the uh, United Kingdom is different from the situation in the I nearly said rest of the EU so, <laughs> uh, in the EU? So in terms of um, the UK, yeah, I'm, I'm personally very disappointed that we're no longer part of the European Union. I work for a European organization and uh, think my country's made a huge mistake stepping outside uh, this important regional body. I think what we've also lost is its ability to take part in a rational conversation about drugs. Europe is increasingly experimenting with and uh, testing out new ways of managing drugs from the Netherlands to the Czech Republic to Spain to Portugal. We're seeing real innovation and creativity. And the UK at the same time has has doubled down on the war on drugs. We've started to undermine our pioneering response to, mm. to harm reduction. We've sabotaged our own drug treatment systems. So the point now where our drug treatment numbers are dropping and our government is even talking about you know, moving cannabis up to the same legal sanction as heroin and, and crack cocaine. So really reversing yeah. the common sense direction that the rest of mm -hmm. Europe is moving towards. Yeah, that's that's very unfortunate. Well, um, and do you think that uh, at the EU level, your voice is being being heard because um, I read in, the, in in some strategies, etc., that uh, that European Commission w wishes to uh, reach uh, addiction-free generation by by twenty which uh, uh, at least <laughs> in my point of view is uh, is uh, completely unrealistic and uh, uh, is going the the wrong way because this is something that uh, could never never be achieved and uh, will cause more harm than uh, than benefit. Yeah, look, I absolutely agree. I think the European Union um, got a little lost with its drugs last iteration of its drug strategy. There was an attempt to really wrap it up with justice much more, and I think they got the tone wrong. However, the German government stepped in and and supported other European countries to come together mm -hmm. and re-establish the European Union's strong commitment towards harm reduction, and that also includes a strong commitment towards meaningful participation. So the European uh, network of people people who use drugs, sits on the EU Civil Society Forum on Drugs. Mm -hmm. Two of my colleagues uh, just attended the mid-year meeting of that uh, of that forum in Brussels. And um, now the fact that drug users are part of those conversations, talking to our other civil society partners, talking to those delivering drug treatment and talking to uh, the EU officials, that's part of this dialogue. Now, even if you if you get the tone wrong with one strategy, then the EU creates a conversation that says, hey, civil society seem to be very unhappy. What have we got wrong? How can we fix it? How can we change it? That's the pragmatic response of the EU. And it also fits with this really pragmatic response of harm reduction. 
But one one level is uh, communication with uh, with uh, experts, uh, European Commission officials, etc. But uh, maybe completely different level is uh, communicating uh, communication with uh, with politicians who are uh, who try to make happy their uh, constituencies and uh, well let's uh, let's face it uh, a lot of uh, uh, people with no experience and no first hand experience with uh, with uh, drug use and uh, no first hand experience with uh, drug users uh, are um, i would say naturally um, uh, cautious and conservative and they are okay let's be really uh, res- let's be really tough on on that topic so um Are you trying to uh, to speak with the general public as well? Yeah, look, we've got to speak with the general public. Now, politicians, I think, are increasingly aware that the war on drugs is completely failed. Yeah. Any any measure that you would try to to use, whether it's increased numbers of drugs, num- numbers of people using drugs, numbers of people dying from drugs, number of people having drug dependency. All of those figures are going in the wrong direction. I mean, the escalation in the range of drugs being used with new psychoactive yep. substances is just crazy. We can't keep up with the new drugs being being used. So I think the politicians understand that we have a huge problem and we've gone in the wrong direction with policy and we have a policy that just makes matters worse. The problem is they've sold the lie to the general population for now 50 years. And so they've done this big spin that you know, cannabis causes schizophrenia, that you know, all the different drugs. Yep. You know, that we talk about drugs that are legal, which are some of the most yep. harmful drugs. While we have Yet a, at the same time, we see uh, experience from United States uh, where uh, there was a widespread legalization in, in some, uh, some states and uh, nothing terrible happened. Yeah, and in fact, in Oregon, they've gone even far further now, which is they've actually decriminalized all drugs. And again, the world hasn't collapsed. So I think we're starting to realize that the big sort of moral caution that we've been fed about the war on drugs, this is really a myth. And it's about uh, uh, no, trying to look at why are people trying to force us to uh, regulate drugs in a way that clearly is incredibly harmful and incredibly damaging. What we're starting to look at now is first, how can we decriminalize to at least have a pause in the war on drug and then start to have more mm. rational thinking about how could we regulate drugs and manage them and also release the healing potential of many drugs. I mean, many of the psychedelic drugs have yeah. incredible healing qualities that we've also uh, stopped ourselves from benefiting from. So yeah. it's not just the harms that have come with drug control, it's also the lost benefits of not being able to explore mm. the healing qualities of different drugs. And do you believe that uh, there will be a positive trend in, let's say, next 20 years in EU? Yes, I do believe. Do we still have hope for, for yeah, something yeah, I positive? Do, I do really have hope. I mean, for t- uh, having been a campaigner for drugs and drug user rights for 30 years, I started off you know, being somewhat pessimistic. We, we started in the middle of the HIV epidemic. Then we developed harm reduction as a way of combating HIV. Mm-hmm. Then we started to think, well, why did this happen? Now, why is it that key criminalized populations seem to be most at risk from HIV? That's led to a much more human rights analysis from the drug user rights movement. And I think that's why we're now starting to say change is really possible. And not only can we see uh, change taking place, but when it does take place, mm-hmm. one, it doesn't lead to catastrophic results. And in fact, it leads to really positive, socially inclusive results. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why more and more governments, including your own, are starting to experiment with different strategies to reform our failed drug laws. 
And um, do you have some uh, maybe examples of uh, best practice f- from uh, from various uh, European states that uh, that you could as a as a as a first hand practitioner and uh, person with uh, with this experience uh, what what could be adapted uh, European wide uh, on European wide level? Yeah, so I think the first thing is that we've really got to understand harm reduction. We understand that needle and syringe programs work, that giving out harm reduction commodities work, and now we're even extending it into creating what's called enhanced harm reduction, where we have things like drug consumption rooms or places where people can use drugs safely. So I think that's starting to manage the problems better. Then we have really good drug treatment. I mean, where we do drug treatment well and apply you know, global standards properly, so we give people you know, the right medications at the right doses in a respectful way that allows people to make substantial changes in their lives and to and to recover from the challenges of uh, having problems with drugs but then we're starting to see in terms of the 90% of the population who are using drugs in a recreational way we're coming up with much more sophisticated ways of engaging with that population the ev- evolution of the cannabis market is an initial uh, good example of how we can make positive progress but also with psychedelics we're starting to see some really interesting use of psychedelics both as healing tools and as um and as recreational or spiritual tools so i think across the different spectrums from from the problems of using through mm-hmm. to treatment and then the management of the market mm-hmm. i think we've got lots of really good examples and what we need to do is release the world from the failures of the war on drugs and start to come up with rational pragmatic responses for managing drugs will all the problems go away of course not but can we manage them better i think it's evident that we can So far, we spoke a lot about uh, policies, but uh, uh, it's also a significantly uh, economical problem because uh, a lot of people are dropping out of uh, productive uh, labor force. A lot of people people uh, end up in prisons for, um, let's admit it, no good reason. Uh, and... Um, Uh, and we are losing all uh, i would say uh, billions on on the war on drugs we are losing uh, billions on um, uh, on uh, taxes that are not not paid so um do you have some analysis on that or do you work with uh, this uh, level of the problem as well Yeah, look, I think there are some really exciting opportunities for society. Now, I think if we, I mean, we are struggling with some real, you know, the cost of living right now, we're dealing with you know, substantial economic crises. But we have, at the moment, an, a large amount of money that's being funneled off to fund organized mm. crime and to fund terrorism. That money could be brought back into society to positively benefit governments and also the problems that 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 illicit drugs market creates could be better managed if we were regulating the drugs and engaging the people who use drugs so the 10% that get into problems can be quickly moved into uh, receiving support and help so they don't remain unproductive and they don't remain lost what we understand is the population who get into problems with drugs have multiple other problems drugs is one element of the mm-hmm. needs that they face they are often the people that we fail most of society who then go on to have problems with homelessness, problems with drug use, problems with drug dependence. And I think we need to look at how we support that group of people better in our society, but weighting our response to drugs so that we don't treat everybody the same, but support those having problems while enabling and encouraging uh, those who uh, want to use drugs in a recreational and controlled manner to do so in the safest way possible. Mm. 
I absolutely must ask you the question that I ask pretty much everybody here. Uh, so how was your work influenced by the COVID-19 pandemics? Look, COVID really, um, I think, has brought everybody's attention back to a public health focus and back to the value of community mobilisation. We we have seen in the UK, for example, a cut in needle and syringe cover, uh, deliver, distribution mm-hmm. by 25 to 50% mm-hmm. during the pandemic. And that hasn't gone back up since mm-hmm. the uh, lockdowns have ended. We've also seen uh, no, increases in uh, drug overdose. Um, and we also saw increases in arrest, but particularly arrest of more recreational drug users who were exposed to criminalization because of the pandemic. So I think uh, the positive benefit of that is drug user groups have stepped up to distribute harm reduction commodities to their friends, to give out advice to each other, to help people engage in drug treatment, and to share uh, safer drug use messages with one another. So I think what we show is that drug user organizing as a strategy mm-hmm. and harm reduction uh, as a, an approach are both highly pr- pragmatic and highly adaptable. And COVID-19 has really showed that we can adapt and respond, but it's much better to respond through the community itself, rather than trying to demonize the community of people who use drugs, it's about engaging us as part of the solution uh, to the problems that we all experience as a society with the war on drugs. Oh, that that's definitely the most optimistic and the most positive answer to that question <laughs> I've ever, uh, ever heard here. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your time. And it was really great having you here. And well, maybe we'll see each other in London. I look forward to it. Thank you for taking the time to <laughs> interview you. me.